everybody. Welcome to another edition, episode number 61 of the Lab Upstream Hitting Podcast. My name is Jim. Thanks for being with us. Hope everybody had a great Independence Day. Happy 4th of July. Happy birthday, America, of course. Hope everybody had some great barbecues and spectacular fireworks and some great hitting as well, because you know, F knows this, we are, at the core, a hitting-based podcast. That's what we talk about. And our topic today, our main topic, we're talking about developing a philosophy. Plus, we have to get to some other things like Schwarber's success, Josh Donaldson, something he said a while back, and he kind of irked some people this week. <laughs> I've been there, believe it or not. And uh, we're going to do a little uh, talk about a debate that's been raging, raging Cajun on Twitter between uh, whether T-Work or Front Toss is the proper way to go when you are warming up and getting ready for a game. So let me bring in my co-host, my friend, professional evaluator, successful business owner, former coach, and a guy who apparently doesn't like to wear a suit to a wedding. We can get into that later. Jake Epstein. That's me, yeah. I'm not a big suit wearer at mm-hmm. uh, weddings in the, in the summer in the desert of California. But uh, someday, Jim, yeah. Lord help us, if, if you tie the knot, yeah, I will make sure I wear a suit to your wedding. Might be a birthday suit. Might be a uh, union suit. What's a? Bir- I'll wear a suit. Yeah. Okay. What I don't know what a birthday suit is, but birthday suit is no clothes whatsoever. Right. Okay. Therefore, I'll have to make sure I do more push-ups. Okay. Um. Well, moving on here. Uh, <laughs> don't know what your birthday suit is. <laughs> Um, you, you, by the way, you sound great this week as always. I can hear you perfectly. You sound oh, good. Great. I can't see you right now, but I well, can hear you very well. Well, that's okay. That's okay. Yeah. There may not, there may not be a video podcast this week. There may be a 4th of July audio podcast. We may just call it a call it a day. Um, let's talk a little bit about, uh, Kyle Schwarber here the national league player of the month. Uh, I don't have his numbers. You'll see it though on the graphic. If we do have a YouTube show this week, cause we're having some internet problems, <laughs> stupid internet. Um, you know, it'd be great if we had like a studio, you and I could do it in every week. Mm, yeah, like Rogan. Yeah. Hopefully, maybe Spotify could build a, that for us. Kyle Schwarber was the National League Player of the Month, uh, Nationals outfielder. Remember, he was non-tendered um, last winter by the Cubs, meaning he didn't get a contract offer from the Cubs, and the Nationals ended up picking him up. I don't have all the numbers in front of me. What he did in June, I don't have it. Um, in regards to Kyle Schwarber, and we've talked about this before with the Nationals, a couple of weeks ago, maybe it was last week, we discussed how they have basically four guys, four or five people in that organization making the biggest baseball operations decisions, Mike Rizzo being at the top. But this, to me, is a classic combination of analytics and scouting, finding the right guy on Kyle Schwarber who could help your team contribute and sort of be a complimentary piece. Yet, I mean, here he is carrying the Nationals to where they are now as we speak three games out of the National League East behind the Mets. Yeah, he's a keys to carry guy. I mean, when he gets hot, he gets hot. So um, the problem is he, he gets hurt. So a lot of times when he gets hurt, he never hits that hot spell, you know, like he did just a couple times when he was with the Cubs. So I haven't seen him swing this year. He used to have a very big upslope to his swing. Um, he's one, probably one of the strongest guys or the strongest guy in baseball. So if he hits the ball, it's going to be hard. He doesn't have to try to create anything or any power. He probably hits the ball 150 miles an hour front toss, something crazy like that. Mm-hmm. There are multiple guys that do that, um, yeah. that are just big and strong. So if he can have decent timing and his path is good, he's going to get, you know, he's going to run into pitches. Um, in the past, his path hasn't been good. 
So his peaks and valleys go like this. He does great for, you know, five, six, seven games. And then he does bad for 20. And then he does well, you know, for another five or six games. So the fact that he's sustained this for a couple weeks is a really good sign for the Nationals. Mm -hmm. Um, And maybe he has flattened his swing out a little bit more so that he can um, get to pitches that are, you know, above his thighs. You know, another guy who has um, – and I'm happy for Kyle Schwarber, by the way, because when you're, non, when you're non-tendered like that, um, that hurts. I mean, because basically you're being laid off from – well, you're not being laid off. You're not being offered a contract for your job. And right. the Nationals, I think, did a great job of, of picking him up. Now, another guy who I think has a similar swing to what you're talking about, uh, at least at times anyway, and you did an annotation on him uh, a while back then that guy is Josh Donaldson. He made some news this week. He was chirping with the White Sox and why he's chirping with a first place team. I don't know, but he did say something a while back. Maybe it was like a year or two years ago, wherever it was, whatever it was. And you did the annotation when he was still with the Blue Jays at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, but he talked about turning, I wrote it down here, talked about turning behind the baseball. And he's talked before about getting his legs into it, about torque, not so much about launch angle, but getting on plane with the pitch. So, um, in your opinion, in your professional opinion, what does he mean by turning behind the baseball? Is that something that you also would teach as well? Um, we talk about it a lot, mm-hmm. um, even at the lab. We'll mm-hmm. talk about, you know, rotating behind the ball. Essentially what that means is when you land, when you come out of the stride, you're trying to rotate backwards. You're not letting your head drift forward. So you're trying to rotate on an axis that's tilted somewhat back. Um, so meaning you're not going to get the ball, you're going to rotate behind it so that you are hitting it out in front, but you're not necessarily going out and trying to hit it out in front. So that's how we talk about it. You know, he's talked about all kinds of stuff, how you got to drop the barrel behind you to get on plane early and, and all that kind of stuff. Um, he really doesn't do that. If you slow down his swing, you know, he kind of gets on plane when really good hitters get on plane, which isn't super deep in the zone. It's, it's out closer to his front knee. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not by his back hip. Um, he stay, he has good extension out in front. He doesn't over rotate. So he's not just turning the barrel. Um, but he talks about turning the barrel early. So it's like anything else. If you teach something, it means one thing to player a, that's a professional. And it could mean something that's totally different to player Z that's 10 years old. And you yeah. can't teach them the same way. You have to teach them as individuals. Um, Donaldson, I believe, was a guy that was taught to swing down a lot when he was in college and maybe in the minor leagues. So when he made this transformation to, hey, I'm not going to just try to swing down. I'm going to try to swing up more. I mean, his career took off. Right. And that's a great thing. But if you explain it, oh, I'm trying to swing up this, that and the other. And you explain that to a 12 year old kid. You know, it, it doesn't work quite the same way. So that's where your qualified instructor is, you know, the the person you can count on, the person that's knowledgeable, the person that uses video and can show you, oh, you know, you think you're, you know, swinging up a lot, but you're actually only swinging up about 10 degrees and that's great. Or you think you're swinging down, but you're still swinging up. And the kid's like, oh, it doesn't even feel like that. So um, if you got a good hitting coach, it might be a parent, you know, listen to your parents. Yeah. Kids don't want to do that. (laughs) Um, I actually heard from one of my uh, longtime players, uh, Marcus Brown, who he was a freshman at Oklahoma state this year. And Marcus always comes down to the lab for our college, you know, kind of uh, get ready for the season camp right before they go back in the spring, you know, over Christmas break. 
And he gave us a huge plug, by the way. He's playing in the, now I can't remember what league, the Appalachian League, I think, but there's a college league called the Appalachian League. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And during the interview, they asked him, what's your favorite podcast? And old Marcus said, without hesitation, and I know you're listening, <laughs> the Lab Epstein Hitting Podcast. There you go. He probably, so I don't know where, Marcus I don't know probably just I wanted just a brought, shout out. I don't know how I brought that in, but Marcus was a guy that I remember you know, we used to, I, I think we had to get him to like, you know, swing down a little bit more. You know, he fought it. He sat back so easily that he naturally swung up a little bit too much, but he's an infielder and he, you know, he's not six foot four and two thirty, So he has to flight it down a little bit and he's done great with it. So again, find your quality hitting instructor wherever they are. And your oh, his quality dad, podcast. I was talking about. Yeah. His dad knows a lot about hitting, but you know, the kid, the kid won't listen to his dad, of course. No. And and I'm gonna re- I'm gonna repeat myself just so everybody heard that. Find yourself a quality hitting instructor and a quality podcast with video. Those two things, the sky's the limit. Let me tell you. And a job. And a job. Get yourself a job too. Yeah. And make a make make an effing adjustment. So I was playing golf yesterday. Yeah. With a former student of mine. He's now a professional human with kids, but he was one of my first students when I started teaching. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's a D1 player, you know, played, mm-hmm. played at Cal. Mm-hmm. And so we're playing golf, and everything he hits is, like, high and right, like 300 yards. And yeah. So after he does it about seven holes in a row, I said, you know what my dad would say, don't you? You know what Big Mike, because he knows Big Mike. You know what Big Mike would say, and he looks at me and says, yeah, make an F and adjustment. <laughs> I said, yeah, you've hit everything high and right. Try to hit something low and left. And then he tried to hit it low and left, and the next one went right down the middle. Yeah, okay? so you never but, stop so, coaching. You never stop, and you never stop learning, and that always, always works, right? Make an adjustment. Don't do the same thing over again. I'll tell you, if he would have made that adjustment after the second time he did it instead of the seventh time, he would have had a much better score and time on the golf course. Well, I'm going to attempt to segue here from adjustment to a tool that you use to possibly make adjustments, and that's the T. And you and I, I think we've talked about this on the show before. I never really liked to use the T. Why was that? You probably don't remember. I do. It's because my chin used to get stuck in my back shoulder. You remember? Mm. You remember, right? No, I do remember. Yeah, you were like, what is it? Mike and Ike, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. that shoulder exactly. in. It was, it, my chin would get stuck in my back. So, um, yeah. uh, so I was never a big T guy, notwithstanding. I'm not against the T. I'm more so soft toss and front flips. Um, there's a debate on Twitter as always with hitting Twitter. There's never a debate about our today, our topic though, which is our topic today, philosophy, but okay. But there's a debate on Twitter about T work and game like environment, how to create such, whether it be with flips, T work, or just going all out crazy. Okay. In your opinion, is T work and flips, are they the true, are they still the true building blocks with how velocity has changed and some of the new sliders with all the new spin and spin rates that have come into play and all the new pitches that guys are now throwing is T work and front flips or soft toss, whatever. Are they still the building blocks for figuring out how to break out of a slump or just in general with a swing? I think so. It doesn't mean that I'm, I'm right, but I'm a big believer in progressions. It doesn't mean that I wouldn't train at velocity because that, mm-hmm. that has a, a lot of merit too. But the T work gets you loose. Yeah. It gives you feels on, on what your body is doing or what you're feeling that day. 
Um, Flips gives you a controlled environment where you can think about, oh, I'm working on my top hand here. I can actually think about that. I'm working on my bottom hand here. I'm working on hitting the ball more to right field. As soon as you crank that machine up to game speed or beyond, all of those fields, they're gone. All those different things you might be working on, if you need to work on them, all of that is gone. And it's straight up competition. I'm grinding out. If I'm hitting off a machine throw a 90, I can't expect results that I would have with front toss. And that's what kids do sometimes. They think that, oh, it's just a machine that's throwing strikes. Well, it's not thrown in the same spot every time. And those machines deviate usually anywhere from like three or four miles an hour. So I treat it and I tell players all the time because they'll get pissed off, you know, hitting off the machine. I'm like, how many balls did you hit hard there out of 10? Oh, I don't know, like four. And I'm like, that's great. That's 400 average off something that's probably nastier than what you're going to face in a game because it's, you know, in like a 90 mile an hour cutter. Mm -hmm. So that's how you have to turn. You have to use everything at your disposal. Tees, front toss. Um, you know, overhand coach pitch, I'm not real sure where that fits in the equation. It's cool for watching guys take BP on the field. You know, maybe it's a little bit of a bridge between front toss and, and full game live. You know, maybe it helps on that. But um, if you're working on something, I'd rather have somebody just work on flips. You know, I can work on just staying inside the ball or staying behind the ball a lot better at flips than I am with somebody really throwing at me. Unless they're throwing at me hard, like a simulated short box or something like that, a simulated at bat, then it's very useful. But just somebody throwing like, like if I was to throw batting practice, you know, pregame on the field, you know, throwing 40 miles an hour, 45 miles an hour, that just kind of gets you loose and gets, get you know, gets you to find the barrel, get your eyes tuned in, get a good look at the backdrop at the stadium you're playing. But I don't think that serves as much as, as the other three uh, pillars, you know, the, the, the T, the front toss, and then the, the competitive speed velocity training. Yeah. I like that word pillars, by the way, it's a good word. Pillars. I think presidents probably use that pillars of democracy. Right. Hey, I'm glad you saved 16 cents on your barbecue, um, for July 4th. That's important. Saving money. I did. You did. You saved 16. The White House put out a tweet last week. You're saving 16 cents on your food, your barbecue food, or July 4th food. Happy birthday. What I've found at the grocery store is everything's more expensive. Getting to the grocery store, (laughs) purchasing my groceries, everything is way more expensive. Spinach went up 30 cents. 30 30 cents on a $2 bag of spinach. You eat spinach? Yeah. I put spinach in everything. Oof, oof. I'm going to be sick. Anytime I make sauteed vegetables, a lot of spinach. Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to be sick. Good. Garlic, spinach, good. Um, be sure to like and subscribe to our podcast, too, uh, on YouTube as well for new episodes and clips from previous episodes. The Lab Epstein Hitting Podcast YouTube page. And emails to jimbopodcast21 at gmail.com. We have a listener question here. And let's get to it. It comes to us from Bill. And uh, Bill, oh, couldn't, I couldn't read my own handwriting there for a second. <laughs> um, this comes to us from Bill, sent to us via jimbopodcast21 at gmail.com. Uh, Bill wrote to us a couple of weeks ago, actually, but our, we were, were a little backlogged on our listener questions. So um, sorry about that, Bill. Thank you for writing in. He says, Jim and Jake, Jake did a great job with Acuna Jr.'s analysis. Acuna does something that you couldn't copy, nor would you teach what he does. 
Okay. And here it is. It's part of the walk away from your hands method. Not too many modern hitters hit that way yet. It is something a lot of old time players did Ruth, Garrick, Williams. I don't think Ted Williams did it, but you'd know better than me. Stan usual, um, K-Line, Killebrew, Mays, Clemente, and more recently, Ken Griffey Jr., the legend himself. Mm-hmm. Why, are hit, why are hitters moving away from that way of hitting, and why are hitting instructors not teaching it? Great job with these podcasts. And again, that is from Bill. Thank you, Bill, for writing us in via Jimbo Podcast 21 at gmail.com. Very good. Uh, yeah, that, that was a cue that uh, you know I grew up hearing all the time. Walk away from your hands. You know, mm-hmm. as you stride forward, push your arms backwards. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's neither good nor bad, but I don't think it's, um, I think if, I mean, we could get wild, like here's one angle of it. Bats mm-hmm. used to be really heavy. Yeah. So Killebrew's bat was probably 36 ounces, 37 ounces. Mm-hmm. As a, he was a big man. None of those guys probably swung a bat that was less than 34 ounces. Maybe Williams swung a 33-ounce bat, mm-hmm. um, 35, 33. Mm-hmm. So the bats were bigger, and guys were smaller. So if you stand there for a long time with your hands like this, far away from your body, your shoulders get sore, right? Like it's yeah. it's heavy to hold that piece. So what happened a lot, guys would kind of cradle the bat, and then as they would stride, they would load their hands back and quote-unquote teach that because kids typically do that too late so they'll have their hands back here and then when they go to rotate they'll leave them back there Mm -hmm. so they'll push their hands or walk away from their hands when they're rotating and that's really bad if you're walking away from your hands as you're striding then it's fine but as soon as that front heel plants now you got to close that gap from where your hands were so yeah, it's definitely not taught much anymore. Um, that was a big thing in the minor leagues, walk away from your hands. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't teach it. I, I start with my hands preset when mm-hmm. I'm trying to change someone because it's too difficult to have hand rhythm going on if you're trying to change part of their hand path. That's incorrect. They'll never fix it. So I take that away. Then after I fix it, then I build in kind of a natural hand rhythm but that natural hand rhythm kind of morphs into what their body wants them to do. So it's pretty cool. It's been a big part of our certification training is, you know, not everybody loads their hands the same way. Some people make a counterclockwise circle. Some people make a clockwise circle. Some people hitch out. Some people hitch forward and back. So what I do is I give them just a random one so their hands are moving. And then in time, all of a sudden, you'll see their comfort that what's built into their DNA, so to speak, will shine through. And now all of a sudden they have hand rhythm and we can wrap that around their mechanics. So, um, yeah, walking away from your hands probably works for some players, probably doesn't work for other players. Um, I definitely don't. It's funny he said that. I, I haven't heard that in a really long time. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, again, thank you. Good question, Bill. We do appreciate that. We'll get to more listener questions next week. and We're going to get into our topic now at hand, our main event topic, as they say. Um, developing a philosophy. Last week we, uh, or maybe it was a few weeks ago. I don't remember. I don't remember now. But we talked. We talked a lot about mechanics on this show. There was one mechanic we talked about uh, that was very important. I forget what it was now. It had a connection to philosophy. Anyway, uh, developing a philosophy. It's not talked about enough. And without giving away too much of your secrets, how did you develop your philosophy in teaching hitters? Oh, uh, experience, mm-hmm. trial and error. Mm-hmm. I'm writing um, down, by the way. <laughs> possibly 
you know, maybe some something uh, aspects of what I did as a player. Mm-hmm. And then I've been in coaching situations where it was just the opposite, or I played for teams that it was get deep in counts, um, see a lot of pitches, let's get deep into the bullpen, let's make the guy work. And then I've seen that doesn't really work if that pitcher is dominant mm-hmm. and your hitters are not dominant. Getting deep in the count just leads to a whole lot of strikeouts, 12 or 13 strikeouts a game. So then you have to kind of know what kind of team you have mm-hmm. and what your face. So I want you to hit your pitch. If you never get your pitch during an at-bat, so be it. You, you make it out. But if you do get your pitch and you take it or you foul it off, shame on you. If you convert 75% of your pitches, mm-hmm. holy smokes, 75% of your pitches, you're going to be an amazing hitter. And take even if you just take 10% of the pitches that you did foul off during the season and you turn those into doubles or singles or home runs, all of a sudden you raise your batting average, you know, exponentially. So my philosophy is I don't care what the count is. 0-0-2-0-2-1-1-1-2-2. You better have a swing that destroys that mistake if he throws one in there. And that, that, that's what's going to be great. We talked about that with Paul Molitor, right? Like, what makes you a great hitter? I didn't miss mistakes. Well, let me ask you this then. Um, so you mentioned you talk about a swing where you're going to almost run into balls and a swing that you're not going to miss pitches. And we see that a lot now. What we did in the beginning of the year with Major League Baseball hitters, they were missing their pitches a lot. And we talked about that. Is that the pillar, as you the word you used earlier, is that the pillar, though, to your philosophy in making a hitter successful on a consistent basis, getting the right swing plane, getting that corrected, so then you can hit those pitches that you're supposed to drive? Yeah, and timing plays a role in that, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, if, 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 if our timing is bad, we're going to suffer. And I'm not saying you're going to run into every pitch, mm-hmm. but – a pitch that is a, a good pitch to hit, right? Mm-hmm. In my belly button, I think is okay. We should be able to cover that, but say belt the thighs, mm-hmm. you know, we should be able to hit that pitch in about a three foot window. Mm-hmm. Okay. So if our timing is geared up for that three foot window, yeah, we're good. If we have a bad swing, that three foot window, all of a sudden it's, you know, a foot or less. And that's when you see guys like Schwarber get really hot. When their yeah. timing's perfect and they're hitting everything in that that box, you know, where their swing is on plane, they're going to be great. But when their timing is off a little bit, that's when they suffer. So anytime you see guys that have big peaks and valleys based on I'm really, really hot, I'm really, really cold, that's a guy that has a small contact window or bad vision, right? You know, yeah. they just don't see the ball as well. But they have a small contact window. They have to be perfect with their timing. Otherwise, they're off. So. That's why, you know, Chris Bryant made it. What, I mean, what an adjustment he's made this year. I think he's still hitting over 300. He's having a great year, and he, all he worked on was trying to swing down more. He's not swinging down, but he's not swinging up as much. So now his collision course is much better with the ball, and he's going to run into more barrels. And that's, that's the beauty of the game. It was the opposite seven years ago, six years ago. Everybody was throwing sinkers and sliders, and guys were swinging two level. Right? right. Maybe 10 years ago. I don't know, but they were swinging down too much yeah. or too level. And then all of a sudden it was like, look, we gotta, we gotta come up through that pitch. It's dropping 10 degrees. We gotta swing up a little bit more. 
Yeah. Oh, wow. That worked really well. And then guys fell in love with Swing It Up. And then it was like, okay, wait, we're Swing It Up in early 2000. So we'll say 2003, 2004. Right. right. Everybody was taught to swing straight down. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, 2015 rolls around. Everybody's swinging up weight. Um, so, <laughs> um, so again, uh, you know, when we're talking about developing a philosophy, um, but the other question I had, how much, again, this is kind of a, I don't know, this is a tough question to answer, but how much percentage wise is it mechanics for you? How much percentage wise is it an actual approach and going up there mentally having a plan? That's too hard of a question for me, Jim. <laughs> that's it. And that's why you're the best. You and Howard Stern, let me tell you, ask, ask the good questions. Uh, it depends on the age. So from yeah. age, we'll say seven, mm-hmm. seven to 12, seven to 13, mm-hmm. it's about mechanics. Okay. Um, because I want those players to have success, have fun, keep playing. Now, a lot of seven-year-olds aren't going to be athletic enough to still play at age 13, 14, 15, and so on. But mechanics, definitely at an early age. As we get older, then it becomes more approach heavy. So um, big league hitting coaches, for instance, are usually great um, approach guys. That's Mm -hmm. what they talk about the most. Mm -hmm. Um, They talk about, you know, pitches, maybe what the pitcher's throwing, what you should do, what you should look for, how to prepare, Mm -hmm. what kind of hitter are you, um, so on and so forth, where, and especially in the past, they, they didn't ever talk mechanics, ever. Yeah. Like when I was a kid and my dad consulted with all these major league teams, none of them talked about mechanics. It was throw your hands at the ball, uh, get the knob out in front, you know, let it get deep. Don't let it get deep. Get on top of something. Uh, that's it. There was, there were no mechanics. Those guys didn't have any clue about how the body worked. I mean, Williams is really the first guy that said, Oh, your, your hips have to lead your hands. Well, mm-hmm. that was like mind blowing in 19, you know, 60. Sure. Right. There were a lot of baseball before that. And um, so now it's changed because uh, mechanics can help guys, especially in my opinion, upper body mechanics can help players find more barrels, whether they're 25 or 15 or 10, 10 years old. So um, definitely more. uh, So at the lab, you know, we start to, we're starting to talk approach, you know, we'll sit down with the players, you know, during class, we give a little break. Let's talk about approach. Yeah, yeah, let's let's talk about approach. And this is usually around that maybe sixth grade, but usually seventh, eighth grade is when it really sets in. But hey, what's your approach? And then what we'll do is we'll start throwing to those players and they have to stay within that approach that they told us. So it's a really kind of a cool way to to train players is okay, that's your approach. Let's see if you stick to it now. Yeah. Um, and we make them think, but we, we're not gonna do that with uh, you know, players that are ten years old. It, that, that wouldn't make sense. Yeah. Did I miss we want anything? them to have fun and they're going to find barrels and have fun if they're mechanics. Well, isn't it though they're going to have fun if they're, if they're playing well and hitting well? Yeah, absolutely. That's why we got to get them to find barrels. See, Howard Stern would do that follow-up question. They don't call me the best podcaster in the biz for nothing. That's right. The, the, the fan behind you reminds me of a propeller head. That's what you I, said I, that I to me. Yeah, I want to send you a propeller head hat. You know, then they used to wear them at the hot dog place, hot dog on a stick or whatever. You've uh, you've said you've mentioned. I'm gonna my, find one. You've mentioned my propeller 
uh, or my fuck, my fan <laughs> behind me many times. Propeller. <laughs> Did I miss anything on philosophy this week? No, I mean, there are so many different philosophies. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, a team philosophy could be, you know, we want you to see, you know, three pitches per bat minimum. Yeah. That's a philosophy, which mm-hmm. could either help or really hurt players. Um, maybe our philosophy today is more approach driven. Mm-hmm. I want you to look for this pitch. We're going to take this pitch away from the pitcher. Mm-hmm. We're going to look low and away and we're going to cheat on that. If he does anything middle in, he's going to win, but that's okay. You know, that could be an approach philosophy. Um, but a basic philosophy, that was mine. There's, there's ones where we want all of our mistakes to be in the air. So this is more of a big league philosophy. Now mm-hmm. we don't care if you strike out, we don't care if you pop up. Yeah. Okay. But we don't want you to hit hard ground balls. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's a philosophy. We figure if you hit a hard ground ball and you miss it, you'll probably hit a soft ground ball. Right. Yeah. Or maybe you'll hit a line drive, but if you're trying to hit a high fly ball, and you smoke it, it's a home run. And maybe if you just miss it, it's a home run because you're so big. And if you miss it by more than that, you're going to strike out a lot. That's kind of the philosophy of a lot of major league teams right now. Um, were we talking about the Rays? They have the highest strikeout. Was that the Rays? We, we mentioned that a couple of weeks ago, yes. Yeah, I mean, that's amazing to me. The Brewers mm-hmm. are hotter than a pistol. And they, I mean, they've, they've actually been hitting, I will say the last week or so they've been put up some runs. Okay. Yeah. But before that they were still doing well, they were well above 500 yeah. and they had like the third worst offensive in baseball. So there are so many different ways now to, to win a ball game, especially if you get pitching staff, which they do, but um, that, that philosophy of, you know, hit the ball in the air kind of works, you know, maybe the philosophy is hit everything the other way. There's a lot of different bad philosophies out there. <laughs> a lot of different bad philosophies. Yeah. Um, we've got some great topics upcoming on the lab. Uh, plus, we're doing um, a mechanical breakdown series in a few weeks on your one of your favorite players, Jonathan India. You love him. We're uh, doing a couple weeks, Jonathan India. We actually have back-to-back mechanical breakdown series in a couple weeks. So oh, that would be great. Wow. Yeah. Way to way to cue it up, Jim. Um, I, yeah, That's a lot the, of work on me. Yeah, I know. Tell me about it. Um, so, uh, what do you got coming up at the lab? What do we got coming up at the lab? Yeah, before we get out of here, before we end our program. 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 Uh, we will have some specialized summer camps going on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, small small group, more instruction mm-hmm. summer camps. We have kind of our big kids camps finish up. Yeah. Um, we have our, uh, you know, we're getting crazy. We, we hired a new strength coach. Did I tell you about Steve yet? No. Steve Price. No, you did not. Man from Rutgers. Okay. So we had the Rutgers. We hired, uh, he was a strength coach at Rutgers, um, had some college station ties. So we mm-hmm. were able to nab him up. So he's running our strength, strength and speed development out there now. Um, mm-hmm. so this really cool. Be- and we reformatted the lab a little bit to get some more strength. Uh, some room for for his strength but you know I, I always tell players look you know you got a great swing you're 16 years old you're 140 pounds like I can't do anything else with your swing mm-hmm. we can train it we can go but you're not going to hit the ball 50 feet further by swinging more yeah you need to put on some weight you need to get stronger and more explosive um, so we have another we have another uh, piece of the puzzle there at the lab so that's pretty exciting for us 
otherwise, same old, same old, man. We got our players training every single night there, getting better, seeing different pitches, seeing different spins, seeing different breaks, talking mental stuff, visual training. Mm-hmm. You know, if you want to be great, come see us. If you want to be mediocre, go see somebody else. <laughs> and with that, Fine, there's a lot. There's a lot of mediocre people out there. Yeah, a lot of them. Don't be one of them. Yeah, and a lot of them are in professional baseball, too. And with that, we will, indeed, (laughs) don't forget to like, subscribe, and email us, jimbopodcast21 at gmail.com. And we'll talk to everybody next week. See you later. Take care, everybody.